Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. Good morning, everybody. I love worship all the time. Every, I mean, I just like worshiping the Lord. Um, I love worshiping the Lord, but this morning, man, that was special, huh? That was pretty amazing. Really felt the presence and the power of God. And I do want to honor um, my Uncle Ricky and my Aunt Susie. I don't think he, he probably walked out really quick. Um, my cousin Thicho, though, in playing the guitar, you know him. He's the worship pastor. His parents, and they've traveled from Texas to be with us this morning. And I just want to honor my uncle and my aunt. And there's nothing, and I, you don't know my uncle, but... It is something special to come and worship with him, especially in, and especially in our church. We're a church plant, right? I mean, our, our doors aren't busting at the seams yet. But um, there's nothing like have someone that comes and worships and makes it feel like there are five times the people in the room, right? And, and Uncle Ricky, I just want to let you know, I, I just imagine God being so just finding you irresistible when you worship him just how you worship completely abandoned and um and man it's just a treat it's always a treat to worship with with the both of you and so we're honored to have you and we honor you um yes well we love you um uh, pastor steven my husband he is out he is preaching at yonkers today he is um, filling in for another pastor this morning so we miss him but you get me so <laughs> i don't know if it's he's he's i i will tell you i'm a, i know i'm a little biased because he is my husband but one of my favorite preachers I, I, there is just no one around like him he, the, his ability to, to preach the word and it comes from his um desire for jesus Monday through Saturday, you know, and after church on Sunday, he seeks the Lord, diligently seeks him, and just truly loves him. And I watch him walk out um, his love for Christ every day. I get to be a witness to that. And, um, you know, so we're honored to have a pastor like him. I'm honored to have a husband like him, but I just want to honor him. So this morning, I wrote myself a note, bring the phone up, because he actually sent me a text this morning that... um, was, uh, I was so relevant to what I was preaching. And I'll, I'll tell you the text a little bit later, but I just, my notes have all, like I wrote my notes out and then I completely wrote other things over on top of them this morning. So I had um, a word for you that I was working on actually a couple weeks ago. I knew I was preaching this week. And so I had this scripture, Proverbs 16, three, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. And that had been kind of playing in my mind. I've been playing with that scripture, praying on that scripture. And God was leaning me to like Cain and Abel and how they worked and how one offering was received and one wasn't noticed or didn't seem, God didn't seem to pay too much attention to. And I was thinking about works and things like that. And, and I was going down this hole, if you will, this tunnel um, on, on that type of work. But then I thought, you know what, let me just look up what that means, you know, in the original language. And so I looked up the word commit, and the word commit is called galal, galal, right? And galal means to roll away. And I thought, okay, well, let me replace that. That's weird. Roll away your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Like, roll away my works. God, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you use a word that doesn't, has nothing to do with the word commit, right? If we're committing, I'm not going to roll away. I'm going to stay, right? I'm not going to do that. So it was, it, was, it was like perplexing me. So then I looked up where else that word rolled away 
was mentioned. And um, in Genesis 29, 1 through 3, it talks about how, that's like a little fly, Jacob um, went on a journey and when he went and found his wives, right? So um, I'm not going to tell that story. I'm going to read this portion of scripture. So if you don't know that story, it's a phenomenal story, and I encourage you to read it in Genesis. We're not going to go into that story, but I'm going to read you this portion of scripture where the word is still used. Um, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the sons of the east. He looked and saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep were there lying beside it. From from, uh, From that well, they watered the flocks. A great stone was on the well's mouth. When all the flocks were gathered there, they would then roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the mouth of the well. That same word roll is the same word used in commit your works. They would roll the stone away from the the mouth of the well and then roll it back once they've used it. In a commentary I read about this particular stone rolling uh, a great stone that's on a well's mouth, this might be intended either to prevent the lambs of the flock from being drowned in it, or to secure the water that was still in in scarcity, um, or save the well from receiving damage um, from the heat or the sun, or when there were sandstorms getting, you know, having the sand fill the well. and so, and that would stop it up. So if they had a sandstorm and they never covered the well, then that would actually stop up the well, right? So that was the purpose of the, the well stone, right? So when they rolled it away, it was useful and they roll covered it up and you could no longer get from it. It was this heavy stone. And I thought, God, that's so interesting that you would use that same word, commit your works, roll your works away to the Lord and your plans will be established. So I thought about that. God, if you're asking me to roll away my works, could that be that I'm have some kind of cover over the things that I do when you're asking me, open yourself up to me, Priscilla. Roll that cover away so that I can have access to who you are, what you offer, what you do, what I created in you. Give me access to my creation. Um, We're all wells, we're deep ones. God made us, so we're deep. So whether you feel like, man, I don't have anything to offer, there's nothing special about me, God made you. So what you're believing is actually not the truth. There is good and great things in you because God does not make other wives. Whether you're aware of it or not is a different story. But the truth is, you're a deep well. We have the ability to give or not give access to us. Some of us might feel like people have just taken their ladle and drink without permission, right? We're like, some of us feel like, you know, you don't have access to me. Some of us feel like they just rolled this away and they're just drinking. I didn't even give them permission. Some of us might feel this morning that life has put a boulder on top of our wellstone and we're not strong enough to take it off. Some of us feel capped and unable to live out our potential because of that weight. Some of us have sealed off our own wellstone so tight so that no one can get access to our heart, our talents, our resources, our intellect. You name it, nobody's getting it. We're so protected. God is asking us this morning to open ourselves up to him. Amen. He's asking that our works be accessible Hallelujah. to him. And I'm speaking from personal experience. In attempt to protect my well and its contents, I not only blocked others off in my life, but I blocked God off. We think we're protecting ourselves from everybody else, getting access to the special parts of us, to who we are. We feel like we're being used and abused. And so we, 
we, we seal our will stone tight and we put a rock on it and nobody's getting to us. But we don't realize that when we do that, we deny access to everyone, including the Father. We deny access, I deny access to my children, right? I deny access, if I'm upset with my husband and I close a well, right, we're, we're not talking, I'm not talking to you, that changes my mood, not just between me and him, between my kids. I'm not a happy camper, you know? So I also close that well off to my children. They're not seeing a happy, a happy marriage, right? If I continue to keep closed off to the, to the people in my home, right? They're, they're, seeing, they're seeing something shut down, you know? And so that doesn't just affect the person that I'm upset with, it, it affects everybody else around us. Does God have access to you? Can he pull from your talents, your abilities? Can he pull from your time? How many of you are working a job that is driving you crazy? <laughs> You're like, okay, it's driving me crazy. People, places, conversations, drama, it's driving you nuts, right? And you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to be a good Christian, not trying to hit people, right? You're just trying to just be a really good example, and people are making it very, very hard. The Hebrew word for plans in Proverbs 16, 19, where he says, commit, roll the way your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. That actually means thoughts, not just your plans, like the things that you write down. This is what I want to do, but your thought life. The translation to that is your thoughts will be established. So if we roll our work open to the Lord, right? We say, okay, God, I'm walking in here. You have complete access, even in my workplace, even in this crazy, nonsensical workplace. You have access, and I'm just going to open this up to you. You actually might just get some peace at work, right? If you start viewing people around you, if, you, if God has yet to remove you from your job, maybe you're supposed to be there. And maybe you're supposed to have a good attitude about it. Maybe, just maybe, God is going to use you to do great things because where we lack, where we are weak, he is great. So if I'm weak in a workplace, my spirit is weak in a workplace, my attitude is weak in a workplace, my desire to be there is weak in a workplace, this is a perfect opportunity for me to say, God, you just be great here and show me the things that you can do through me that I couldn't naturally do because what I want to do, you would never do. <laughs> what I want to do to this person is not allowed. You know. So God, show me that I can get along with somebody that I feel no love for. Give me your love for them. There's nothing greater than that. To feel love for somebody that doesn't deserve it. And to care for their soul. And to pray, God, I pray that on judgment day they see you and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not about us, what we believe that they deserve. They're a child of God. God created them. He loved them. He imagined them. And we've got to begin to see people around us through those same eyes. And if we begin to think like that, Maybe crazy isn't how you feel. Maybe peaceful and powerful is how you'll feel when you walk into the workplace. If we start allowing God access, not just on Sundays to us or in the privacy of our own home, but move in us on the workplace, we might not hate doing the nine to five. We might not hate it. We might find this is my mission field. God is doing great things. We might be showing up on Sunday, not being able to wait for Monday. Wouldn't that be a miracle, right? I cannot wait for Monday. God is doing, God, revival is happening at work, right? Could you imagine not being able to wait for Monday? 
That's, that's in our realm of possibility, right? Because God, can, God cannot wait for you to wake up in the morning, right? I, I feel like that sometimes I'll tell my kids when I wake them up in the morning, I missed you. <laughs> I missed you. You were sleeping. They're so cute, right? And then they, then they, go, then they go nutso, and I'm like, oh, let's, go, let's take a nap. You feel like a nap? Um, but sometimes I'll tell them when they're sleeping, I missed you. God, he, he's excited to see his work in us. He's excited to see his creation at play. What inventor creates something and puts and shelves it and, 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 and forgets the anticipation and the work of their own hands to see something created work? Let me see if what I did, let me see if something happens with what I made. I took time. That's how God is. God created us. And he wants to see us work in his full capability, his full ability. I'm going to address two things that I feel that can keep us from rolling away these wellstones in our lives that deny God access to us. Two things. So I gave, I gave us two notes because you guys know my, my track record. I tend, to, I tend to be a little long-winded, so I'm like, two points. <laughs> two points, and that's all. I'm not going for three or for four. I'm going to give me two points. So um, the first point is unforgiveness. Amen. Unforgiveness Amen. can cap us so tight not just to having a happy, peaceful life, but can cap us to the presence of God, to salvation. There is so much heaviness and weight that comes with unforgiveness, and I think it's such an important thing to note that if we want to commit our works to the Lord, if we want to be used by God, we have to be able to be a person of forgiveness. We have to. I want to share a story of my own wellstone, okay? I've... um, I was a very broken and desperate girl when I came to Jesus. I was 15 years old. I was desperate for salvation that the preacher preached about. I went to church camp. My mom made me go. I didn't want to go. And she's like, you're going to church camp. I didn't want to be there. It was too cool for school. And it was just ridiculous. I'm going to do it at church camp. And, um, but the preacher was preaching on salvation. He was just speaking this word that was stabbing me in the heart. Because what was happening was months before God had been calling me. And I could feel him. And every single day I would wake up and I'd be like, okay, God, today's the day. Me and you, this is going to work. I'm going to be saved, right? And, and, and then that day it would end and I'd be like, I just did really bad things. <laughs> I'm like, I wasn't, I, my heart was hurt. I was angry. I did all of these things. And all of my desire for devotion and good behavior wasn't working. I was not behaving good and I couldn't stay beho- um, devoted to the Lord through the day. And I would just be like, God, like, help me help you. Come on. Like, I know you want me and I want you. Like, why isn't this working? And every day I just wouldn't feel saved at the end of the day. And I feel like this isn't working. And so I got forced to go to camp and secretly I think I wanted to go, but I went, right? Cause I'd been having this dance with the Lord, dance with the Lord and like dance with my flesh. Like, okay, I want to be saved, but this is like really neat and fun. And I, but I want to be with you. And just like going back and forth as a 15 year old. And the preacher preached, and I could not get down to the altar fast enough. It's like, we would call this altar. It's kind of like a space, right? And the, there's the worship band is up here, and the pastor's preaching, and it has this huge space, and the room is filled with hundreds of teenagers. And he said, if you want to be saved, if you want to give your heart to Jesus, come up to the front. I'm going to pray for you. All of these young kids rushed to the front, and I didn't make it. I got probably as far as where Christian is right there. <laughs> it was like, it was just packed with kids, and I'm like, no, this is my one chance. But how many of you know God can save you without the preacher? 
right? You don't need the preacher. You don't need someone laying hands on you. If you want Jesus, you can have him. There are no hoops to jump through. There is nothing that you need to do. There's not anybody you need to talk to. There isn't any altar in this world that is more special than the altar that you create where your own feet are standing. It's Jesus. It's not anybody else. It's not me. It's not Pastor Stephen. It's not anybody else that has this magical key to salvation. It is you and Jesus, and that can happen anywhere. And that's what happened to me. I was in the back, all these kids in front. There was no way I was going to get prayed for or anybody lay their hands on me. I fell to my knees and was sobbing and just crying out to God, I want you, Lord. I want to be saved. I want what you have. I want peace. And then God said to me, There are some commitments that you have. There's some well stones that you have rolled away to something else. You've opened your heart to something else, and we need you to close that. I need you to close that. And I was like, what's that? And he's like, you have unforgiveness in your heart towards your father, and you need, you need to, we need to heal that. And if you don't know, my dad, I love my father. We're, I love my dad. He would give the last shirt that he owns to anybody. He is generous and grateful. But um, alcoholism is real, and it destroys families. It destroyed mine. Look, I'm not talking about the word. Uh, look, I, I get it. I know people in the back of their minds, if, if, you do, if you do partake, I'm not condemning you. Please hear me. I know this conversation comes up. People feel like, well, the Bible says. I know what the Bible says. <laughs> okay, I know exactly what the Word of God says. Okay, I know it talks about wine, and I know Jesus turned the water into wine, but you know how many times they mention that alcoholism, like an overconsumption, getting drunk is a sin, and that's a real possibility when alcohol is present, okay? Let's not kid ourselves. Um, so if you do it responsibly, I'm not talking to you, and you can rest peacefully and assure, I'm not going to go take your wine, I'm not going to go into your house and be like, nope, we're taking this off the shelf. No, it's none of my business right? But what was my business was the abuse that was suffered in my home because of it. That, that, I, there's, there is no scripture that, you know, that can ease that as far as like, that can make that okay. And, and in fact, God gave opposite. He did give scripture that says that is not okay, you know, but I do get alcoholism and I get that it's a disease. And so if that's something you struggle with, or you know that someone struggles with, there is there is a light at the end of that tunnel with Jesus. And, and if that's something that you deal with, God, God will redeem you and he'll rescue you. You know, I know so many people who've been rescued from that. Um, and, you know, but my dad, sober dad, was loving. He told me, you could be a scientist, an astronaut, and the president all at the same time. You know, he, I could be whatever I wanted. He was so encouraging, so loving. But when dad had the drink, he was a completely different man. It was like Dr. Jekyll and Hyde, okay? And it was whiplash every single morning. One dad here, one dad there. And as, you can, and as a kid, that's confusing. And as a kid, that built anger upon anger upon anger because I would see how he would treat my mother. I would see how he would treat me and my brothers and sisters. And then the next morning, the sweetest guy in the world. And it's like, what, what in the world? It confuses a child, right? And so... God was asking me, and, and as a teenager, and years of suffering under a house like that, um, I built up anger that was so deep. This well was deep. It was anger, hardcore anger. 
that I had towards my dad. And the anger protected me because the anger made me feel fearless. So when my dad, um, when he would act out being drunk, that, fee that anger would give me courage and I would stand in front of him and my mom and I'd be like, what are you gonna do? I would stand and get in his face to protect my mom. And then I'd, I mean, I, and, it was, and sometimes it didn't fare out very well for me or my mother, but that anger kept me strong. And so God's asking me, I need you to forgive your dad. I need you to release that anger. And I was like, what are you asking? First of all, you gave me this dad. <laughs> I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. I mean, like, I didn't choose these parents. This is your divine providence. How can you ask me to give away something that protects me? He's like, do you trust me? Do you want me more than you want anger? Do you want me more than you want this pain? And I had to trust that it would be a fair exchange when it didn't seem like it at first. Okay, God, I don't even really, see, you're invisible, first of all, right? And I'm supposed to trade this love for a God that I can't physically see for anger that physically keeps me safe, right? What a weird trade-off. But I trusted him because I'm like, God, I am so desperate for you. And if you're telling me this, I'm going to trust you. So I let it go. God wanted to drink from the well of my unforgiveness, and I felt like he had no right to at that point in my life. But I had to make a decision. Some of us feel like we're waiting for a visible God to be, an invisible God to be visible. Some of us are waiting for some magical moment, some major spiritual um, awakening, when sometimes it's just a choice. To say, you know what, God, you are more important. You're, I believe what the word of God says about your love, that it brings me peace. And I'm going to just, I'm going to let you drink from that. I'm going to let you heal these waters. I'm going to let you have access to this unforgiveness in my heart. And I'm just going to trust that you are going to sustain me. You know, forgiveness was the best thing that I ever did because I, the moment I said, okay, God, I give it to you. And I broke down in tears. And I will tell you, I never turned back. 15 was when I got saved. And that is where I stayed. I have stayed there. I did not turn back. And I even went home. I went home and you know what? Nothing changed. I thought, I'm going to go home. My dad's going to get magically saved. I mean, like erratically saved. I mean, all of these things are going to happen. And, and it's going to be amazing because th this is God, right? Like I feel saved. I feel good. I mean, even the trees look different to me. I'm like in the car. I'm like, the flowers are in bloom. I love birds. And I hate birds. I'm like, birds look cute. You know, they're dirty, <laughs> dirty little things. Um, and that's because, I kid you not, this is embarrassing to admit and has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Um, but I've been, I've been pooped on several times by birds, so it's personal. Like, more than any normal person has, like, and in the weirdest places, it's just, anyway, don't, don't get me started. So, I, you know, so even birds look good to me that day. And so I thought, going home, this is going to be different, but it got worse, actually. My dad's behavior towards me actually worsened. Um, but... I had never felt peace like that before. And I had never looked at my dad the way that I looked at him at that point. Like ch God's child, who God is heartbroken over, right? I had an understanding because of forgiveness that my dad loved me with everything he had. But it, wasn't, it was a broken love. And it was a, a love that was unredeemed. And being able to see my dad through that lens helped me survive the next few years in the home and continue to pray for him and believe that, God, you were going to do something. And you know what my dad did get saved. 
and he loves the Lord. And, and you know, and, and, that, and it, that, was a, that, that is his testimony and a whole walk that he did. But God is good, yeah. right? God sees it all. But even in the pain, God can give you peace. And some of us feel like I need the pain to go away before I have peace. Sometimes that's just not the case. You need peace to deal with the pain if the pain is your season, right? There's seasons. And if it's your season, you pray for peace. If the pain doesn't seem to be going, if the season isn't seem to be leaving, if that job you can't get out of, if that apartment we just can't get out of, if we can't get out of a certain situation, then God is doing a work in our hearts and I'm going to learn to live with peace. Amen. Peace is better. Amen. It's always better than anything else that we could have. Peace with Jesus. Matthew 6.15 says this, but if you do not forgive others, nurturing your heart and anger with the and with the result that it interferes with your relationship with God, then your Father will not forgive your trespasses. That's serious. Amen. That's serious. That's more than just like anger, you know, rots the bones. The proverb says that. Anger rots your bones. But here in Matthew, he's saying, if you don't forgive others, I can't forgive you. Me not forgiving somebody is denying me access to the forgiveness that Jesus has for me that leads me to God, that leads me to eternity with him. If we have unforgiveness in our heart, that blocks us from connecting with our creator. How you feel towards those who hurt you matter, and they matter greatly. Unforgiveness blocks us from salvation because unforgiveness fills our hearts with anger and hatred and leaves no room for much else. It's not a coincidence that when I let go of my anger towards my father, I was saved. I had tried and I had tried and I had tried and it didn't work and God was telling me, you have a stopped up well. There is something stopping me from entering fully and it's unforgiveness. And once that's removed, you're free. It's unforgiveness, and if you have that in your heart, we, it, it's time to release that. And I'm not saying that you then be buddy-buddies with the person that hurt you. Please hear me out, too. Hear my heart. That's not what I'm saying. If somebody has done some major damage to you where you should not be friends or in the same room or they have a restraining order, it does not mean, let's lift the restraining order. Let's go be friends. You want to be my roommate? No, not talking like that. It means my heart forgives you, and I no longer wish all the evil on your shoulders. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all the bad things happen to you and only you. Um, C.S. Lewis said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. We have and will cause pain to others. We think about other people. When we think about forgiveness, I think about other people, what they've done to me. But I've hurt people. I've done some really dumb things in my life. I've betrayed people. I've told secrets that I shouldn't have. I've said mean things. I've betrayed trust. I've hurt my kids. I've yelled when I shouldn't have yelled. I've done things. I've said and done things to my husband that I shouldn't have said. I've done some pretty horrible things. And I need forgiveness constantly. So it doesn't make sense for me to say sorry. I needed an abundance for me, but for you, not so much, <laughs> you know. If I need it, then they need it. We're broken people, and we all have access to redemption from our Father. Who am I to deny that anyone who has hurt me and will hurt me in the future, who am I to deny forgiveness? Who am I to do that? When Jesus himself, the Holy of Holies, can forgive, how do I not? 
how do we know that we still have unforgiveness in our hearts? What's the, like, how do I know, you know? Is there any desire for vindication, <laughs> right? That's a good way of telling. When you think about the person that hurt you and you feel like, am I, do I forgive them? And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, they'll get theirs one day. <laughs> Karma, right? If you still think about that person and you still feel the desire for vindication, your heart might still ha- harbor some unforgiveness. Do you keep tabs on them on Facebook and Instagram? just in case you don't miss the show, right? You, you want to see that ship go down, right? Like maybe you keep tabs, you keep close tabs. You know, I'm going to watch it from afar. Maybe you still might have some forgiveness in your heart. Those are some good signs, right? The word of God says, beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave that way open for God's wrath, for his judicial righteousness. It is written in scripture vengeance is mine and i will repay says the lord someone's hurt you trust god trust him he's going to vindicate one way or another whether that's in this lifetime or the next but he will vindicate but his the best part of trusting god is the peace that just flows in and says i'm going to let that go you god you handle it and then when you can begin to pray for them and say god i hope i wish well on them then you know you know god's doing a good work in your heart Unforgiveness takes work. It's a heavy, heavy load to carry. Blood, sweat, tears go into holding a grudge. Do you trust your Savior enough to roll away that heavy stone on that well so that he can heal its waters? Hatred can become very precious and seemingly vital to survival. I always think about Gollum. I'm, I love the Lord of the Rings. Do you love Lord of the Rings? I love the Lord of the Rings. I've watched like I watched the first ones, and then I got the new DVD sets with the extended version, and then the additional extra scenes, like the bonus stuff. Watched it all, love it all. I'll watch it again. Oh, every year. Well, like, let's redo it. Um, and I think about Gollum. If you don't know the Lord of the Rings, it's this, this hobbit, cute little hobbit that loved this ring, and it was evil, and he loved it so much that it like altered even his physical appearance, and it changed him. That's what hatred can do to us. It can alter us, even physically. There are scientists, and there are studies. Look it up. Google it. There's, there are, are things that bitterness does to your, it literally rots your bones. The Bible tells us it does, and doctors tells us it does. It can cause arthritis, hatred, and bitterness rot our bones and it changes us when you hold on when you find your hatred precious and you find it that it keeps you warm at night it is rotting your bones and it is changing you and it's a lie it does not help you hatred is a lie it is and and the, the comfiness that it makes you feel the vindication that it makes you feel it's just a smoke screen and really what's happening underneath the surface is you're just rotting all you need to survive in this life and live it to his fullest is jesus and all of that begins with allowing God to, com- to have complete access to our deepest hurts and our disappointments. Give him access to it. Give him access to the pain that protects you. Give him access to the disappointment. Give him access to the hurts that you feel like, could you have prevented that, Lord? Give him access to the things that you feel like, I feel like this could, that you, could have, you could have turned the tide for me on this one. <laughs> you know? Give him access fully to all of it because he can change it. He'll change your life. I promise you that. Number two, so we're almost done. Um, The second well cover I want to talk about is exhaustion. Man, exhaustion is real. You know, and I mean, in all walks of life, whether you have kids, a newborn, teenagers, no kids, and you're living the life in New York City, I think the moment that you step into New York City, exhaustion is just like, 
hi, <laughs> like, I'm your new roommate. Like, do you have extra room for me? It's, uh, it, it, is, it just belongs with the pace of the city here, and everybody sings that song, Exhaustion. I'm going to read quickly from Exodus 17, 11 through 13. And this is kind of paints the perfect picture for me as far as exhaustion. Now, when Moses held up his hand, so Moses was in a battle and God said that I want you to fight this battle. And as long as you keep your hands up, you're going to win. But the moment that you drop them, you'll lose. So you have to keep your hands up. Have you, I mean, keeping your hands up for a prolonged period of time, if you've never tried that, um, try it when you go home. Just say, what are you doing? Just practicing? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to see how Moses felt. Um, you keep your hands up. It is, it's hard. Your arms get heavy. You get tired. Um, it's just, it's gravity. You know, it's really what happens. So I'm going to, that's kind of the premise of uh, the story that I'm reading. So now when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. When he lowered his hand due to fatigue, Amalek prevailed, but Moses' hands were heavy and they grew tired. I mean, he wasn't holding up his hands for like 45 minutes and you'll win this. I mean, hours, hours and hours and hours he had to keep his hands up. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat down. So he's not standing anymore. Now he's sitting with his hands up. I'd be like, my legs are okay. <laughs> like, it's my arms. Like, what are, what are you bringing me a stone for? Um, then Aaron and Hur came by and they held up his hands one on each side, so that his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed and defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So they won. But when his arms dropped, they would lose. When his arms were up, they would win. How many of you know that fatigue can shut us down? It can be a well cover. It can be something that we roll over. Oh, okay. You know, Lord, I'm a little tired, so let's just close up that well. We're like, nope, you can't have access to me. Nope, I'm not doing that, God. Oh, yes, I know, Lord, but you know that I'm tired. Let me just roll this over my well. No more, no more dipping. Let me, you know, you take God's ladle. <laughs> no more ladle for you. You know, when we're really, really tired, we shut down, right? I mean, I, I'm, and I'm so guilty of that. And I always have to be aware, too. Like, when I, if I have, like, a full day and I come home and my kids are excited to see me, and I'm like, I'm really, really tired, you guys. Me being tired for the day is not their fault, right? They're energized. They want a little, they want a part of me. They want my time and attention. And it's like, man, I have to give it to them. Even if I'm tired, I still have to open up this well and say, you know what, God, you've given me this ki these kids, these cute little children that are, won't let me nap. <laughs> um, and it's hard. And, and it's hard. It's like, you know what, but I'm owed. You know, I worked really hard. I've been out all day. You don't know what I've gone through. And you just have these children that were entrusted to me and I'm like you know what God you're right you've given them to me I'm gonna open myself up and I'm just gonna I'm gonna spend some time I'm gonna do it tired I'm gonna do it exhausted but I'm gonna give them my time and that's how God feels right we, we can even get exhausted doing his work and when God says I need a little bit more and we're like nope but God is the one who gives us strength the Word of God says that the joy of the Lord is his strength so if I find joy in the work that he gives me he is going to give me enough to fulfill the works that he gives me, right? Notice that when some of us worship, we lift our hands, right? Do you see? I mean, a lot of us do that. Um, and maybe you think it's weird. I don't know. But we do, right? We lift our hands to an expression of our love for God. 
Um, it's symbolic of my openness to Christ, my commitment to him, my rolling away of the stone for the morning. God, you have access to every part of me. You can speak to me. I'm going to worship you. You can use me however you want. I'm rolling away the stone. You have full access. And that's what that does for me when I lift my hands in worship. Moses' hands signified his willingness to be used, but when physical exhaustion set in, arms went down and the battle turned for the worse. And for a lot of us, being tired or exhausted really changes things. It changes our mood, our ability to connect, it changes our desire for life, and for those who have a relationship with God, it changes the amount of time spent with him. Right? We can be on like a really good roll, right? And we're doing, reading our word, we're waking up early, we're spending time with God, and then we have a little bit of a tougher work week. What's the first to go? Think about it, take inventory. What's the first to go? Is it your quiet time? You know, is it that time that you pray with the Lord? We start to like, we try, we try to like trim, right? We're gonna trim the fat of our day because I'm so tired. What's the first thing that we do? Oh, the Lord understands, right? We do that. Moses was called on by God to a certain task, but could not complete it because exhaustion. It was only when Aaron and Hur helped him when they won the battle. Some of us have been given a task, and not too unlike Moses, been God-ordained. And if we get too tired, like for me and Stephen, Pastor Stephen, God spoke to us and told us to come here. And you know what? To be honest, we're tired. We've been doing this for three years and that doesn't seem like a long time but we don't own this building so it's set up and tear down every single sunday with our kids Ticho and michelle same thing we come and we do it but if i were to say god i'm so tired no more no more a battle will be lost here in hamilton heights because it is not about me. Planting this church isn't my vision. It is not Pastor Stephen's vision. It's not the Madrano's vision. It is God's vision, and it is a mandate. It is, a, it is something that God said, do this. Yeah. So it's, it's, we're being obedient. But if I were to say, no, I can't do this anymore, a battle will be lost. That's heavy, right? Moses was looking out. Every time I drop my arms, someone dies. Someone falls by the sword. It wasn't like all of a sudden their ground was taken. Actual lives were lost. There was major weight on the fact that he had to keep his hands up regardless of the exhaustion. And some of us are in a place like that. Regardless of the exhaustion, you have to keep going or a battle will be lost. Whether that's with your kids, whether that's at your workplace, whether that's with your, your, your brother who has fallen away from the Lord, whether that is, is um, for your apartment building, if you you drop your hands, a battle will be lost. But do you know what helps debilitating exhaustion? God-fearing healthy people. This is why church community is so important. What helped Moses win the battle? Was it that he overpowered and was like, second win, <laughs> and he kept his arms up, right? I can do this. What helped him win that battle. Two people came alongside him and held his hands up. Community, good, healthy Christian community is vital. And I'm going to prove it to you in scripture. This is what healthy community did for Paul the Apostle. I'm going to read just a few scriptures. We're almost done, you guys. Um, 2 Timothy 1, 16 through 18. Paul the Apostle, right? Like the Apostle. Written a lot of the books 
of the New Testament, um, a martyr, died for our faith, just a pillar and example of the Christian life. He needed church community. He needed it, and he voiced it. In 2 Timothy 1.16, he says, this is what Paul says, Nevertheless, so many times, oh Lord, one is fourth, I know I said that wrong, was like a breath of fresh air to me and never seemed to be ashamed of my chains. May our Lord Jesus bestow compassion and mercy upon him in this household. For when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me until he found where I was being held and he ministered to me, just like he did so wonderfully as I rested in his house while in Ephesus. As you know well, may Jesus our master give him abundant mercy as he stands before me. Hear that, I rested, he ministered to me. Not another disciple, not another apostle, not an angel, a regular person who loved the Lord. 1 Corinthians 16, 17. I was delighted when Stephanus, Fortunus, and Achaeus arrived, for they made up for your absence. They have refreshed my spirit the same way they've refreshed yours. Be sure to honor people like this. 2 Corinthians 7, 5, 6. Even after we came into the province of Macedonia, we found no relief. We were restless, exhausted, troubles met us at every turn. Outwardly, I faced conflicts. Inwardly, emotional turmoil. Paul was a mess. But God, who always knows how to encourage the depressed, encouraged us not by sending an angel, not by coming down. He encouraged us greatly by the arrival of Titus. We were relieved not only to see him because of the report he brought to us of how you refreshed his heart. He told us of your affection toward me and your deep remorse and how concerned you were for me. This truly made my heart leap for joy. Romans 6, 16.2, embrace Phoebe with honor as is lifting for one as a fitting for one who belongs to the Lord and who is set apart for him. I am entrusting her to you, so provide her for with whatever she may need. For she has been a great leader and a champion for many and has been that for me. Romans 16, 3, the last one. And I'm sure there's many more, but the ones that I have. Give my love to Priscilla and Aquila, my partners in ministry, serving the anointed one, Jesus, for they risked their own lives to save mine. I am so thankful for them. This is why church community is so important. Sometimes you can't stop because you're tired. Sometimes you can't stop because you're in prison. Sometimes you can't stop, just like Paul. I mean, he was in prison. He was being flogged and beaten and shipwrecked, and it didn't stop him. Jo a job has to get done, and a lot of times pushing through requires help from believers. You need people who connect with God's heart to help you with the things that have been tasked from God's heart to you. God has tasked certain things in our own heart and we run to people who have no connection to Jesus, right? And that's okay, I'm not, and please hear me too. You, if you don't have people who are not saved in your circle and your friends, you need to get some, okay? Because our life is about saving the lost. Our life is about being an example. But the people that you run to to help you when the things of the Lord get heavy need to be believers because what they'll tell you to do is, why do you go so early? Why do you do that? You don't need to do that. They don't feel the weight that God has, the good weight that God has put on our hearts for the lost. You need to go to believers when things test from God are getting weight, weighty. 
Paul needed other believers to help push through the beatings of the imp- and the imprisonments, the loneliness, the discouragement, so that he could continue to work for the Lord. He rolled away his stone and allowed God full access to his abilities. But it was the people that surrounded him that helped him get back up when he was beat down. It was people that helped him to not close up. I mean, I don't know how many more beatings Paul could be if, if he didn't have people and be like, I can't do this anymore. Let's close that well, God, no more. I don't want to be flogged anymore. Two shipwrecks is enough, right? Um, surviving a snake bite, I don't want to do that again, right? Like, but there are people that surrounded him that said, you can do it. Because he was seeing what God was doing in their lives. When you see what God is doing in someone else's life, it encourages, to push, it encourages you to push through because God will do it for you. It increases your faith. But when we come to church and walk out those doors and don't connect with someone next to you, you don't have access to that kind of encouragement. Church community is important and not country club community. I'm not talking about that kind where everybody comes up and they click up and they leave. I'm talking about, sister, man, this week was rough. Pray for me. I am going through this. Pray for me. What do you need? Oh, you need groceries this week? Let's go. Oh, your mother is hurting? Where where can I see? Oh, you've got someone in the hospital? Let's go. Community that digs deep beyond, how are you doing this morning? Oh, good. Oh, well, God bless you. And that's it. Deep community where we share each other's lives, where we inconvenience each other. It is inconvenient to have true community. And sometimes it gets annoying. I'm not going to lie, right? Someone's like, I need you to come over and help me and be like, oh man, I just, you know, not, you know, it does. It gets annoying because it takes time out of your own busy schedule. But sometimes I'm going to need you to take time out of your busy schedule for me, right? Community is inconvenient and it is rewarding. It is absolutely rewarding. A little side note. If you are a child of God, actively seeking his will, everything you do is test from God's heart. You don't need to kind of pick and choose. Well, is this test from God's heart? No. If you are actively seeking his will, everything you do, God sees and has his hand on. Roll away the heavy stone that covers the well of our pride and allow God to use you to speak to others about Jesus. Your workplace, your coworkers, the subway ride, your Lyft driver, the barista from your frequented coffee shop, your super, the neighbors on your street, the cross guard that you see every morning walking, allowing the kids to, to cross, the guy who makes your favorite chopped cheese at the bodega, the officer that just wrote your parking ticket the moment you got back to the car, the mail person, your entire apartment building, everything. Everyone you come in contact with is tasked from the Lord. You don't know what their last minute is, their last breath is. You don't know what they're going through. It's funny, my son, he doesn't do this so much anymore, but we'd ride the subway. And if I accidentally bump into somebody, like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay, right? And then Boston will be all short. Exchange numbers. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, stop doing that. Give, invite them to church. If I barely make eye contact with somebody and he catches a glimpse, he's like, mom. Give them an invite card, you know? And I'm like, they can hear you. Um, I mean, he's just so aware. And, and that made me more aware. A bump sometimes isn't just a bump. Sometimes it's a divine appointment from God, and it takes us being constantly aware. God, 
are you doing something in their life and am I supposed to be a part of it? And the answer is always yes. It's yes. And you know what's even more amazing? If you grasp the concept of that and you put it to action, you are only deepening the well of church family that you can pull from when you're down and out and need help and encouragement. You're only widening your opportunities to say, I need you. <laughs> you need, and, and, and widening people's opportunities to say, I need you. We're, we're, we're spreading, we're spreading that, that kind of job. But I'll tell you, when a community stays, not stays small, when I say it stays small, I mean when it stays introspective. When you come and you stay closed off and you say your niceties, um, I don't know if that's a word. If you be nice, you're nice. Um, uh, you can go home pretty lonely, disconnected, and you feel like, man, I don't know about that church. You know, they feel like, you know, I don't, I don't know if anybody likes me or sees me or nobody says hi. Well, have you said hi? Did you say nice to meet you? What's your name? Did you say, would you like to go to lunch? I don't know anybody here. And, and, and sometimes you feel like, man, they should be asking me. I'm the one who's new here, right? And yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and I'll tell you, at our staff meetings and in our, in our, in our meetings that we have, we tell them, you, we tell them, don't talk to somebody you know, talk to somebody you don't know, and make someone feel welcomed. We want people to feel welcome. We want people to feel like, we want you here. I'm so glad you're here. But it happens. But sometimes it takes us stepping out of the boat and saying, okay. And, and I'll tell you, I, I seem, and it's years of ministry, but I, I can be socially awkward, you know, and, like, what do I do with my hands? <laughs> you know, like, and, it, and it happens to the best of us. But sometimes it just takes, hey, you want to go to lunch? I'm kind of new here, and I want to, you know, kind of see more what you're all about. And it's really simple like that. But it takes saying, okay, God, I'm going to roll away the stone to my pride. I'm going to, I'm, you can have my pride, right? Just take it and do with it what you will. And if that means me being a little awkward for a moment and having an awkward lunch because I don't know somebody, it's always going to take that awkward lunch to get to know somebody. There's always going to be an awkward lunch. You're never going to avoid that. If it's new and you don't know them, sitting in front of somebody you don't know and eating, it's just uncomfortable. But it, it takes that one time to get over it, right? And to get to know somebody. Be awkward. It's, it's great. It's cool. It's, it's what the kids are doing these days. <laughs> I don't know. Um, look around at the people in here. Really do it. Look around. Everybody make some eye contact. Look around. If you don't roll away, you can look back at me now. If you don't roll away the heavy stone that's over the well of our personal life, the people here that you just made eye contact here in this room, community won't be personal and it won't be connected. It'll be just a buzzword. It'll be the trend that's happening. I mean, you'll see it everywhere. You'll see it everywhere. Every church right now is community, community, community this. And it took me a while to be like, want to use that word here because I'm like, I don't, I don't like trendy words. I don't like buzzwords. It's almost like a rebellion against them. I'm going to find another word, but it's what it is. It's community, right? Community will be just a buzzword, and we don't want that. Again, I don't want a country club. I don't want buzzwords. I want authentically to know you, and I want you to know me. You know, the thought of someone lifting up our hands when we're tired, if we don't really connect with one another, would be just that, a thought a good one, a good idea. That sounds nice. I mean, I would love for someone to lift up my hands when I'm tired. Sounds nice. That's all it will be. But if we don't get to know each other and know each other deeply and, and lay our burdens on one another, 
then no one's going to know to lift up your hands. I'm going to end with this quick story. Some of you know that I moonlight as a doula or like a birth photographer. So I'm there when women give birth. When they have their babies, I get to see that moment when they first get to hold their babies. And it is, the first time I did it, I'd never witnessed anything more disgusting. <laughs> I was sick to my stomach. I was getting dizzy. I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? Then I got over it, and then the second time, it was overwhelmingly beautiful. I've been a part of several women's births. I've been a part of several families to see their child for the first time. I photographed it. I've been a fly on the wall, and I've documented for couples. But I've also been, um, in a sense, a doula. I'm not officially a doula. Don't tell anybody that. I'm not, you, there's like years of training that people go through to be that. I just happen to be with a friend. Um, to two of her births, I was her photographer, and she also asked me to help be with her, like help her, and her husband was there as well. Um, but when you watch a woman labor, there comes to a point, especially un, in natural labor, when they, they're completely unmedicated, um, there comes a point after hours of labor when the baby's ready to come, and every single time a woman will say, I cannot do this anymore. Either one, kill me, or two, just cut me open now and we'll deal with the mess later. Like, okay, like that happens, right? And that always happens right when the baby is about to come and you look at that mom and you say, that's good news that you can say that. The fact that you're saying that means it is almost here. And it just is because that part is that part right before the baby comes is the most intense. And that's always a good sign when they say, I cannot do it. So what do I do as a doula, as a helper? I lift her hands up. I encourage her. I say, what do you need me to do? Let me massage you. Let me, you're almost there because she physically can't do it anymore. And that's in a sense what we're doing. Some of you, a lot of us are giving birth to something that God has put on our hearts. And you are at that point where you're like, I can't do this. I can't do it anymore and you're about to give up and what you need isn't someone to shoot you, <laughs> someone to put you out of your misery. It is a brother and a sister, a friend to come alongside you, a believer who believes that God has called you, has believed in the plan that he's given you to help lift your hands and say, you're going to do it. You're going to see your baby. You're going to see the promise and you are going to be overjoyed that you didn't give up. We need that. And that is what community provides. But when we have a well stone over that part of our lives, we don't get to experience the joy of working alongside each other. And we don't get to experience the joy of completing a task because physical exhaustion is a real thing. Some of us might just give up without one another. We need each other. We have to begin to open up church First to God the Father. So if there's any unforgiveness, I'm sorry, I should have called you up a little while ago. I'm, I'm almost done. We have to open up our heart. First to God. So if there's any unforgiveness in your heart, you have to let that go. And I know it seems easier said than done. I get that. I know what it's like to have anger be a coat, anger to be a protection for us. I know that. But if you trust God, you'll see that peace is so more far protecting than anger could ever be. So if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to open up your heart. If you're exhausted and you want to quit, I want to encourage you to not use exhaustion as, a, as an excuse. I wish I could tell you it was. 
I wish exhaustion was an excuse for me. You know, everybody wants that. It's not. And not when God has called you. Not when God has given you a task. Not when God has spoken something to you and it's getting tiresome. It's not an excuse. But it is an excuse to get to know someone better. It is an opportunity to open up your heart to those people around you and say, I need help. I'm drowning. I'm going to put my arms down and what God has called me to do, I'm not going to do it and I need you to help me. And it is our job, when someone approaches us and says, I need your help, it is our job to say yes. I'll do it, whatever you need. It's our job to be inconvenienced. It's our job to have someone pull another hour from our day. It's our job because we don't know. Who knows? Who knows what, you'll, what hands you're lifting up? right? You don't know the job that God has tasked somebody and they say, help me. You don't know who that's going to affect, what great things are going to happen. When I was a little girl, actually both Ticho and I, a woman named Jennifer Manley would pick us up from church. Our parents, they were not saved and they just thought, get the kids out of my house, right? You're going to take all the children, get on that bus. So we loaded a white, uh, a white van with a stranger right? And they took us to church. <laughs> like, hey, you're going to take them? Good, go. Are we going to vet the church and go visit? No, just go. We're like, okay, well, let's get on the bus then. You sure you trust them? So we all got on the bus. And this woman, for three years, picked us up every Wednesday and every Sunday for church. She had a business to run. She had three girls of her own, but committed to little hooligans who ran around the church without parents mind you, we, our parents weren't there and we were just running amok, running circles, tirelessly. Our, I, you know what, actually I'm not even gonna to say that. Probably fully tired, fully exhausted, but committed and said, I'm not gonna give up. I'm not gonna give up. I'm gonna continue to pick up these kids. And I'll tell you, they're the fruits of that one woman. They're, 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 they love the Lord because of this woman because she continued to pick up her children. And little did she know that this little girl who would come to church, who would fall away from the Lord, who would come back, would then get a husband and bring him back to that same church to be youth pastors and young adult pastors for six years and serve that church. You just don't know. You don't know what your exhaustion pushing through your exhaustion will do and what it will produce. And you might not see that for years. A lot of times we want immediate return, right? We live in that world. Why isn't my internet still loading, right? Like we want immediate access to the things that we have. We want it and we want it now. It doesn't work like that for the kingdom. Some things take time and it is your choice to say, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm sticking it out. I won't quit. I'm not going to give up, and I need you to help me. We need each other. We can't do this alone. And so what I want to do this morning, you know, like I said, I'm, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, this is what I want you to do. I, and, and if we can all stand up, please. If that's something that you feel is in your heart, I'm not going to call you up for the altar. What I want us to do is sing and do worship, and I want you to release that to God. 
And even if you've never lifted your hands up before, if you've never done that in worship and you're like, this is uncomfortable, the first time it is uncomfortable, I'm not gonna lie. But if that's not what you've done, but you wanna be symbolic and say, God, I have unforgiveness. I'm lifting my hands to symbolize that I'm letting go of the anger and the hate. And I'm symbolizing that everything that I have is yours. The hurt, the pain, the anger, the joy, the time, the works, you have access to it all. I want you to worship that way with lifting your hands. And if you are exhausted, same thing applies. Let's lift our lives to the Lord and say, God, connect me with somebody, my errands and my hers. Connect me to the people who are going to lift my arms up to complete the task that you've given me, to love my kids the way that they need to be loved, to help me in my marriage, to help me in my job. Bring those people who will speak into the parts of me that is just tired, where I don't know if I can do it anymore. Bring me brothers and sisters who could speak life into the fire that seems to be dwindling. And God's gonna show you. 